Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. And good morning. Welcome to Fantasy Sports Today. Happy month of June 2020. Craig Bish, along with Joe Pizzapia, with you here every day from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on Sports Grid. Hopefully, you guys had a nice weekend. I would say relaxing, but a lot of people have done a lot of react, uh, relaxing over the last few months. And certainly, as we head into the month of June, I think we're headed toward a month of sports, which is certainly uh, definitely a good thing. We haven't had a lot to root for over the last couple of months. Certainly a lot is happening also around the country. Needless to say, this is a sports show. We'll try to keep it to sports as much as we can. With respect to everybody staying safe out there, obviously that's the most important thing that we are rooting for in our world, for sure. Uh, Joe, good morning. What's going on? How are you? Yeah, I, look, it's a, it's difficult times going out there right now in this country uh, for a myriad of reasons, and hopefully people are tuning in here to get just a break from uh, reality. I mean, it's fantasy sports today. After all, we're not a reality show in the sense that the only thing real about this show is uh, Craig's hair, which is really, really starting to sprout and get more incredible every yeah. single week. That is real. That is 100% authentic. Nobody could take that away. And, you know, if you're watching us, you're looking for a break from the world, which is an important thing. It's a service we're providing here. <laughs> and obviously in the last uh, two months or three months, we could all use a little break sometimes. So uh, for me, it was a pretty good weekend. The pool is warming up. The fantasy black book is out and now hopefully we'll overtake your purple book. But for those people who are looking oh. for a little bit of uh, a little bit of reading for this summer, a little bit of football prep, or maybe you're just disenfranchised with sports right now and, and not sure what's going on with MLB or NHL or NBA. I know they're moving forward, but if it's not good enough for you and you're still looking for some football, well, the black book's out on Amazon and we got you covered. So uh, that's always an exciting weekend. And uh, Craig, how about you? Anything exciting and fun going on for you this past weekend? Um, you know, not too much. Just, uh, you know, it, it was interesting, I, I think, on Friday, seeing that New York is potentially opening up on yep. June 8th. So naturally, I'm, you know, kind of curious as to, uh, with us here on SportsGrid, are, are we going to be back in our studios? And I, and I think that that's, you know, something that, I'll look forward to. Obviously, I do my show from my home studio, but um, yeah, I think that that's uh, that's part of it. My actual my one year anniversary is coming up here on Sports Grid. As a matter of fact, uh, in a couple days, I think two two more days will be one year that I've been here. So we should have cool. a celebration. <clears throat> we should have it on this day in fantasy sports. What could we possibly do? One year. <laughs> I, I, my, I would, my first show. I, one year. I have to go back and see. Um, I think it's I mean, it was the fourth or the fifth or, or something right around that time. It was my first. Well, it's got to be on the. I expect it to be whatever day you figure out that it was. I expect it to be on the docket for that day that okay. we celebrate this day in fantasy sports is the greatest running uh, fantasy sports show of all time. One year over here on Sports Grid of Craig Nish. And I think yeah. it's paper, right? Isn't that one year anniversary's paper? It's like the cheapest thing you can do, right? I think. So I've never even heard that expression. You'll have to ex expand on that. You know what I'm talking about? Like every anniversary has like a, a thing attached to it. You're married. Oh, does you know? it? I, I'm I'm not aware of that. Oh yeah, you've never heard this before. I know. I'm I mean, sure. I know that there are silver and there are gold, but I've never heard of a paper one. Uh, well, I think for every year there's different things. So yes, is there the first this anniversary is brand new to me. I've never heard this before. The first anniversary is well, I don't know how many years you've been married, but you might have to catch up here. So the first anniversary is paper. Second okay. one is cotton. So years. I, right. So I can get you a, a, a Q-tip next year uh, for a second anniversary. Uh, leather is the third one. That's when things start to get a little kinky. Uh, fruit or flowers is the fourth anniversary. So uh, continuing on, wood, candy. Or iron, which is interesting. What is uh, this? Who makes this up? What this is, is this? this is a real thing. This is this is like as this is as old as like all the other wedding traditions. I can't believe is you've never really? heard of this. I, thing. I you know I have never heard of this. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then uh, bronze, uh, wool, all these things. But this is the official gifts by year, and this is what's ten years. Uh, I, I guess uh, steak knives. No, I don't. <laughs> I got to look here. Uh, ten year anniversary. I have to look. It might be. Uh, well, because you ever heard the thing like the silver anniversary, the gold? Yes, that's what I said. A silver and gold, so twenty-five. Ten and 50, years but... is, uh, let's see, aluminum or tin. That doesn't seem very good. I'll get you a can of beans. <laughs> Congratulations, honey. I'm sure, that'll work. Oh, uh, but eleventh is steel, so that sounds interesting. I don't know if you know. 
Maybe you get like a nice Easton bat for your wife for your 11th anniversary. That's what the, we could have given you that for your second year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this is a real thing. So paper. So I don't know. Maybe I'll get you a card. Maybe I'll get you an airplane. I don't know, but we're coming up on that. So that's very exciting stuff. There. Yeah, so I, I, the, the one issue. thing I would say is is hopefully my run here at, at SportsGrid will be as long as my run at other places. I know that a lot of people have had – well, I, I did have one real uh, negative experience with one company where I was <laughs> I was basically hired and never hired. It was a really strange story. <laughs> I remember but, that story. You don't yeah, have to share that story. <laughs> very, very bizarre story. Where you're, you're, you're hired, and then, oh, well, we can't hire you. It was really weird. But um, beyond that, like I usually wherever I go, stay for a while. So I mean, I, I don't I don't like to move all around. Um, and even when we did the uh, we had the pitcher list, the uh, pitch con over the weekend, where I know that uh, you did stuff and I did stuff too. The question was asked to me about that, uh, you know, going over to SportsGrid after being uh, with Satellite Radio for ten years and. And I, listen, I, I like being places at two years, three years, five years. I mean, everywhere that I've been, I've worked for five, 10 years at that place. But there does come a point where I think that there's sort of an expiration date for everybody. And at least for me, like I, I when I'm bored, like that's when I start to try new things. Like I tried this uh, generational fantasy draft. I'll, I'll, I like to never... Uh, to always have further aspirations to do different things. I don't like to be completely comfortable in doing that. But, I mean, I'm only one year in here. And in addition to that, on the TV side, I think that this show has only been on television for, I want to say, like three or four months. Not yeah, that long. it was right it after was, I left. They said, Joe's gone. Let's put it on TV now. It's safe. And look, Craig, you work out every single day you run. There's no, I mean, if you're going to do that and stay in radio, what's the point? You know, you might as well just let yourself go if you're going to stay in radio. But if you, you know, you didn't work out all <laughs> those years. You may as well die in all, radio. No, I'm saying you didn't work out all those years and all those months to not make the transition from radio to TV. I only stay a place like a year, two years tops, then they get sick of me. And then well, actually, this is the only place that ever brought me back, which is, I, I don't know. They, I mean, maybe they. Uh, it's the first for everything. <laughs> yeah, probably a first and a last. But it's not, you're very lucky. That is not the nature of this industry. I know, the industry I know. Is, is to write for a place for a year, and then the cycle is you get hired, you work through baseball and then football, and then after football, everybody decides in the next year, oh, we got to cut budgets, and we cut budgets, and everybody's out of a job in January, and it's, uh, well, it's a crazy I, I, I would I would not consider myself solely a media person. I think that in life and in general, I think that in with the way that we're transitioning and especially – during the pandemic, as people have realized a lot of your work can be done from home, I, I wouldn't say that this is a, a time to step back. It's really a time to step forward and realize some of the things that you can do. I would love to be doing uh, more things, even if they were on a trial basis or even unpaid, because I like to, you know, sort of develop new ideas, new stories. And and I think that there just comes a point after being somewhere for a long time. Like, I'll always... In, in my life and things that I've done in sports and in the media, I'll always endear myself and basically build a wall where it's like the people usually look at me and say, man, like we got to keep this person around because like he's going, you're an institution. Young. You're like Tom Brady though. Eventually well, but, you but after, but after you've won so much, years, but after you know, 10 years, it's like ten years. You know, you've won so much. There's nothing left to do now, except, you know, take your ball and go somewhere else. And, I want to you know, try something new, and, and, I, and hopefully, well, I get ten years here at SportsGrid, and and on my ninth year, I'll you know, we'll say, hey, maybe there's, some, and maybe there'll be more at even at SportsGrid. Hey, tenth year, you get that tin, you get that piece of tin. That's, you get, that's right. Exciting. You get the little. You gotta tin. hang on to you get the tin. It's funny because the conversation that I had on on PitchCon was probably the inverse of yours, which is, um, we uh, Welsh and I worked on there talking uh, Welsh from in this league and the Blackwood podcast, and right here over on the on the FNTSY radio side of SportsGrid, uh, we were talking about building your own brand as opposed to working for the, you know, the big box sure. fantasy places and all those things and and what that entails and why you do it and what the pluses and minuses of that are and, and the pitfalls. And it was a fascinating conversation because <clears throat> so much of that was born out of necessity and um, in terms of either not places not wanting to take you on or Places right. taking you on and then stiffing you on the back end of things and not paying you. And you go, okay, sure. you know what? Enough of this. I'm going to take it into my own hands. And that's the best thing I ever did because Black Book, you know, it's, you know, I don't live in the mansion, as I said on the show, but 
uh, I'm able to provide as a single father for my two daughters, and that's pretty good. Like, if I can do the thing that I love to do the most and make money at that, that is a win in life. And it's very interesting because we're talking so much about what that is to build a brand in fantasy because there are the ESPNs and there are the the CBSs and these major, huge corporations that that do fantasy coverage. And then there's like this independent wing. And it's funny, I feel like because technology is kind of become so user-friendly that the podcast world, the website world, all these things. Now, there's such an independent spirit in there, not just in music and, and film and TV, but also in fantasy sports. And it's so much easier now to start something than it was 10 years ago in, in every sense of the word. And this is 10 years of the Black Book, so there's no such thing as overnight success either. But it's fascinating because here we are on the exact same platform hosting a show together, and we could not have taken two more different paths to get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would say so. I would say that that's accurate. And and yeah, I think that, uh, you know, look, I mean, for a lot of the work that I do, I'm independent and I you know, make my own schedule and do what I, I do. For this in particular, it's an everyday show. But to each his own and and everybody has their, their certainly their own opinions of things and ways that they do things. It doesn't make you right. It doesn't make you wrong. But whatever keeps you sane and happy and able to move forward for sure. And, and and look, I know that there are a lot of people out there that watch us for fantasy content, but really this channel and the way that we are headed, if I had to make one recommendation uh, as to which direction to go, it would be to get a better understanding of gambling content and wagering mm -hmm. content, because that's something that continues to grow. It is It is only moving forward, it's not going back. And and for that, by the way, uh, you know, there's a big misconception that it's about wins and losses, and it never is. That's not what gambling content is. Gambling content is helping people understand uh, to how not to lose. It's an entertainment base. There are certainly ways that you can win, but the reality is is that gambling for a lot of people in this country is a form of entertainment. Right. It is not a business where you're going to be out there moving to Las Vegas or New Jersey and putting a cot in the FanDuel Sportsbook. You are, it is not going to work. <laughs> not going to work. Well, you're you know, trying there are some do, guys outside the FanDuel Sportsbook. And, they, they, and, well, and that's the problem. What you right. want to do is get yourself in a position with discretionary income where you understand that there is a 50-50 chance that you could lose it, but you're putting your best foot forward and you're understanding wagers better. And I think that uh, the big misconception in a lot of, uh, you know, the gambling entities that, we're not a lot, but some of the, is that it is all about, I'm a winner, I'm a winner, and look, we're winning all the time. You're not, you're not. It, it's just, it is well, not the, the case. the DFS community, it's always been the same thing. They always, they always screenshot the wins, kids. They only screenshot it is, the It wins. is not. It is about having fun and using your discretionary income to entertain yourself, especially in times like this. All right, we'll be back with more Fantasy Sports today right after this with our This Day in Fantasy Sports. Don't go there. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. It's the 1st of June, 2020. Welcome back. 1st of June, 1st of May, 1st of April. Has anything really changed? I don't know. I it's hope so. I, I want to, I mean, look, new month, fresh start. Let's at least for a day. It's tell a me new July week. is not going to be like June. Tell me July is not going to be like, or I'm Craig. sorry, tell me uh, July 1st is going to be better than June 1st. Tell Craig, me. July 1st is going to be better than June 1st. Okay, I'll take okay. it. <laughs> this is nice. It's, it's like a therapy session here. Uh, <laughs> I'll get my notebook out. We can have you lay down. You can tell us all about, uh, all about that one incident where you got hired and then never worked for them. And you can finally let that go after all these many years. But no, it's it's a new week. It's a new month. It's a new day. Let's we're going to try. We're going to try to be positive. I mean, even today uh, on the show, I, I decided let's do a feel good baseball story because I feel like the last couple of weeks we've been kind of miserable in terms of like some of the baseball stuff going back and forth. So I tried to put a feel good season on there. So positivity. Let's let's try at least for today. We'll see what June 2nd brings tomorrow. Knowing Craig and I will be right back down in the pits. But for a day, let's just try. By the way, the guy that hired me but never hired me got fired. <laughs> he just can't let it go. He just can't do it. Just to be clear on that, two months later, the guy got fired. So. Ah, and not rehired. I don't usually wish evil on on people. 
in my entire life, I would say the list is so short. Like I and and and, and it's like I don't even wish evil. It's just I, I don't think that I've ever been upset to that point. But this guy was on that very short list. I mean, you hired, like, you, know, you literally hired me and then tell I me am. that you can't hire me? Well, look, what? thankfully, Ted Turner did land on his feet. Oh, it wasn't him? Is that who? <laughs> he, did, he did okay. What a bizarre story that was. Okay. I know it was. So uh, this is the first of June. We've moved on and moved forward. We're going to start off in 1975. Joe was already 17 years old at that time. So he wasn't born, but that's okay. Nolan Ryan threw his fourth no-hitter. He went on to throw a bunch more, but uh, I heard you know, saw a documentary the other day, not a documentary, but an interview with Nolan Ryan talking about all of his no-hitters and just kind of going through it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, clearly you would have to guess that unless some savant comes up from the minor leagues at some point, like another Kershaw or another Scherzer at a very young age, I mean, I don't rule it out because you never know, it's sports, but some kid would have to come up, Joe, at 20 years old, essentially, right. would have to be... One of the very few pitchers in baseball to complete games, <laughs> and, and would have to throw nine no hitters. Like it's it seems unrealistic for it to happen. I don't. It's a very low percentage chance, but it would seem to me that Ryan's record is safe. Yeah, you know, Nolan Ryan is a polarizing pitcher because there's there's a lot of people like me who love Nolan Ryan, and there's a lot of people who will like take shots at him and say he was overrated and he was on bad teams and he was inconsistent and as good as he was in those no hitters some other times. You know, he wasn't that good, and he struggled with control sometimes. But, look, at the end of the day, here's some fun stats for you. You want to talk about finishing games? How about 61 shutouts? How about that? I don't think anybody's having 61 shutouts anymore. You're looking if you get six shutouts in a season. Will there, will there be 61 <laughs> shutouts in the next five years from pitchers? Uh, um, in the next five years? That's a great – we have to I really dig into that. I'm, I'm probably right. I mean, he pitched for 20 years, like you said, won 311 wins on bad teams, by the way. He had 311 wins. Uh, you know, I mean, 500, 5,714 career strikeouts. I saw him pitch a second to last game and he was throwing just as hard as ever. And I guess the, the crazier point is too, I mean, who's going to pitch into their forties anymore? Like nobody's going to, nobody's going to go no. that long because of all the money they can make. And the fact that, you know, they'll have their careers, they'll be done and they'll look at the rest. Of, and there's nothing wrong with changing your perspective on life as an athlete. I, I think that's perfectly fine. Cause I, we've seen a lot of athletes hang on too long uh, guys who couldn't do anything else, guys who desperately needed the money. But we, that's really changed and evolved quite a bit. So I don't want to see the other thing where you're getting football players retire who are really good players four years into a career. I don't like that either. That's not a good trend for football. But the fact that these guys have a life after football or baseball and things like that is is better than some of these guys who hung on so long just because they needed the paycheck. And, you know, obviously the structure economically is so much different now. All right, 1987, uh, Phil and Joe Negro become the all-time sibling leaders for pitching wins in the major leagues. Of course, uh, the Negro brothers doing it through the, the uh, knuckleball. Joe, are you aware of who they may have passed at that time? In that well, I was just going to ask you. I was like, who are the, who? I'm trying to think of the the brothers, uh, two pitching brothers. Yes. Um, it's got to be – it's probably one really good one and one crappy one, right? Like, is that is that what it is? Like, the uh, one guy – so you know, I think it's like it's like who's no, got the most hits all time? His brother. Crappy. Well, not crappy. No. <laughs> not no. crappy. All right. No. Um, you're not going to guess it. I, well, I, give me a hint. Give me a hint. Give me a team at least. Uh, I'll is give it, you a hint. Is it Dizzy I'll Dean give you a hint. His brother? He, he, he actually was very proud of all the teams that he played on. He had a jacket of it. Oh, uh, was it Gaylord Perry? Yes, that's correct. Okay. See, you didn't think I would get Jim Perry won the Cy Young Award. He's right. not a crappy pitcher. Yeah, I couldn't remember his brother's name. I was going to go with Dizzy Dean and his and his uh, and his brother, Daffy Dean. Not to be confused yeah, with I, Goofy I, Dean, who is the youngest of the three. I don't know if Daffy with even yeah, I don't, I'm not. See, I I got you. I I got you. I was ready. Right, good job there. Gaylord Perry, Jim Perry. All right, 2012 Mets pitcher Johan Santana throws the first no-hitter in team <sighs> history. And this was a fantastic moment for the Mets. I remember watching this live. Unfortunately, Santana's career is pretty much over from this point forward. <laughs> but, but classic Mets. But, but he said he said many years ago he had no regrets about it. So if he has no regrets, then I have no regrets either. It was an incredible night. I remember 
the game starting and me driving home and listening to it on the radio. And the, and the Mets have historically had some of the best radio broadcasters in the history. Um, they The original radio guys when I was growing up was Gary Thorne and Bob Murphy. Doesn't get much better than those two guys in terms of calling games. And then eventually Howie Rose. Um, and, you know, I'm listening to Howie Rose do this game and the excitement you can feel building. And I think I got home somewhere around like the fifth inning and he still had it. And I remember watching this and just, of course, you do that thing where you don't move. Right. You're just like, I'm not going to move. I can't, right. I can't move. Right. We're doing this thing. And I'm not superstitious, but I've seen the Met no hitters fall apart in the past so many times. They've and uh, and it was it was a beautiful thing. And and some part of me knew that that was the end of Johan. Like, I just I just knew. I don't know why I had this terrible impending doom at the same time. But at least we can look back and have one great moment during the Johan Santana era, because God knows those teams you were on. They should have gone to the playoffs. And uh, both years they came up one game short. Thanks, Marlins. <sighs> All right, uh, 1994, Reggie Miller with the wildest finish of his NBA career in one game. Hits five three-pointers in the fourth quarter against the Knicks in the Eastern Conference Finals. Everyone remembers that with Spike Lee. You and, watched that live? Because I know I did. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I did. but I have a story about I, this. I can't remember if I did. I watched we have, this with we're, my... we have 30 seconds for your story. That's it? We're already that hard? Wow. Really, yeah, well, we're, we're deep in. we got to do perfect. All right, well, 30 seconds. I'm watching this game with my diehard Knicks fan friend, Ari Teplitz amazing Knicks fan and he's watching this and he's confident and then this happens he goes he walks outside of his door he takes uh they had a cooler outside he took the cooler and poured the entire cooler over himself he was so incensed and so bad he could not he couldn't function that would have been a good like, Twitter it, moment that would have been an amazing Twitter moment <laughs> All right, uh, and finally, Andy Ruiz defeats Anthony Joshua. This was a huge upset for the heavyweight title, and, um, you know, boxing is one of those sports that I think that we're going to start hearing about pretty soon. There's some rumblings that there could be some fights with no fans coming up, and so I would look forward to seeing that. It's just two guys, essentially, and the trainers. So it would seem to me that there could be a chance for some boxing in July or August, so keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on some announcements coming uh, potentially next week there, um, especially maybe this rematch of this fight. Uh, all right, uh, this day in fantasy sports birthdays for June the 1st. Not a star-studded list by any means, but some interesting names. Greg Schiano, born in 1966, now the new head coach at Rutgers and the old head coach at Rutgers. Essentially, Schiano <laughs> has kind of played his way into this. Uh, Joe, he said he didn't want to come back, and then he did, and then they said he said that he needed to upgrade the facilities. They didn't want to pay for it, and now they're paying for it, and so they're going to have Schiano back. This is a good thing for Rutgers. They're probably not going to be good for two, three, maybe even four years, but I think this is his final stop. I think he's going to end up coaching there forever. Well, it was his most successful one. So uh, Rutgers about 15 minutes uh, from where I am in New Jersey. I've never been to the stadium. It's a nice stadium. Never been because, well, quality football is not really good. So what am I going there to do on a Saturday? Why am I going to waste my time there? But well, so he turns it around there. I mean, certainly he is the guy when you think about Rutgers football. So we'll see what happens here. And I'm cautiously optimistic. I hope this is not one of those things where you try to revisit the past and then you end up coming way, way short of what it used to be. I think it'll be good. I hope so. 1973, Derek Lowe was born. Very good pitcher in the big leagues. Mm. Uh, remembered for probably his days with the Red Sox closing, but also was good with the Dodgers as well. A, uh, and pitched it, game seven against the Yankees. And that's part of the season we're doing today is season 2004 in MLB. You forget very people underrated forget. Pitcher. Very yeah, underrated pitcher. Very underrated pitcher. Big game pitcher, too. 1979, Santana Moss, really good wide receiver in the NFL for both the Redskins and the Jets, and of course also at the University of Miami. 1981, Carlos Zambrano mm. was born. I got to see Zambrano up close and personal at the very end of his career with the Marlins. A very, very strange uh, guy, Zambrano, because I got to tell you, he is so he is such a nice guy. I, I, I don't understand when he just like loses his bleep because everyone's going to remember him for that. Uh, and then that other no-hitter that he threw I, in front of nobody, I think it was at a game. But well, People are different on the mound or in the game than they are. Such a like, nice guy. Pedro Martinez, nice. right? With the lovable goofball. He got on the mound. He was an assassin. There's Some some guys just have that that switch that flips. Some of the football guys are like that, too. A lot of people say Mean Joe Green was like that. Nice guy to be around. And to get him on the football field, he was a murderer. <laughs> like, I mean, the guy just, just like, took people out. It was unbelievable how good he was. But off the field, oh, you know, he's getting jersey in the commercial. He's like a laughable fellow. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And then finally, 1995, a player that, you know, I, I was definitely in on a little bit in the fantasy season, um, you know, because he, he came at a discount 
as opposed to like the top three pitchers in baseball. This guy, I feel like could be at the top. So I got him a couple bucks less in an auction later on in a draft. But now what does it mean? Who knows? Uh, Shane Bieber, who a lot of people had big ideas for in 2020. I don't know that I feel the same way or worse. I don't mean, I don't even know what a season's going to look like, but he was one of those that, that I would have probably had, you know, half my teams on and hoped for the best at the end of the year. And now that's kind of up in smoke. Well, Shane Bieber and the rest of this rotation is fascinating because this was the team that everybody was looking at saying, okay, the Indians are on the precipice of, you know, if they get off to a slow start, maybe they trade off Lindor and then they just kind of cash in everybody who's left and try to retool and turn things over. And I think they can pretty quickly with the talent they have on this team. But now if there is a shortened season, you have a great manager, you have some star players, you have probably the best pitching staff in that division. I don't think we can, you know, argue against that, even though Kluber's not there. I think the Indians might as well just say, hey, screw it, let's go for it. Because I think they're going to be one of the most dangerous teams because how many teams can say they have three pitchers if Carrasco is healthy as good as Clevenger, Carrasco, and Bieber? Not many. And in a shortened season, that might not that might be all you need. Get off to a good start. Next thing you know, you could be a playoff team. Next thing you know, who knows? Maybe Cleveland's having that big celebration at the end of the year. Wouldn't that be a fun story to a crazy season? Yeah. I mean, look, it's it's there. If they do play, there's going to be some story that's going to come out of nowhere with some team in a shortened season. I mean, I doubt it'll be Baltimore, but you get the drift. Like it's someone's going to come out of nowhere to do something. Uh, but we'll have to see. Hopefully, we'll get some clarity either today tomorrow or very soon all right coming up next speaking of which the rockies are in a really tough spot what to do with nolan arenado we'll touch on that next year on fantasy sports today on sports grid don't go away sportsgrid.com betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real-time odds predictive betting models expert picks and more want the edge then get on the grid sportsgrid.com And welcome back, Craig and Joe, here with you on Sports Grid on Fantasy Sports Today, hoping for a lot more baseball talk coming up later on in the week, hopefully some more clarity. Of course, the uh, the draft is coming up on the 10th, and so we'll have a little bit more uh, details on that as we get closer to that. That's definitely happening no matter what. Uh, but, Joe, I think the interesting topic of conversation for sure is is regarding some of these players that you would have thought that would go into a season where they could potentially be traded. And going into spring training with everything that happened with Nolan Arenado of the Colorado Rockies, you would have thought that the Rockies would have been in a prime position coming up in July after a half a season to potentially move Arenado, potentially maybe to a contender. There are also people that I've talked to that thought that if spring training played itself out, there was a pretty good chance that the day before the season started, Mm. the Rockies would have traded Nolan Arenado Mm. because sometimes that happens. What baseball teams do, and we've seen this in the past, unfortunately— is, uh, you know, they understand that people are buying tickets. So they wait right until opening day, and then the night before opening day, they ship the player out. We saw it uh, a couple of years ago with Toronto. We saw it with Kimbrell a few years ago also with San Diego. Uh, Teams just do funny things right before the season starts. Now, Arenado clearly is, uh, you know, arguably the best third baseman in all of baseball. And if you take a look at the numbers, they don't lie. He played 155 games last year. His OBP, 379, 41 home runs, 118 RBIs, 2018, 38 home runs, uh, 110 RBIs, 2000. I mean, he's just very consistent. The numbers are basically all the same. Of course, a lot of those uh, home runs were hit at cores, but he does have, uh, you know, significant road splits, which go down quite a bit in terms of batting average and on base percentage on the road, but he still has 98 career uh, home runs on the road. I mean, it's, it's, it's not that much. It's only, you know, 10 over the course of the season, essentially, or eight. But the problem is, Joe, is that the Rockies thought that they were building for right now and they wanted their cornerstone. So last year they signed him to an eight-year, $260 million contract, which is going to run through 2026. He'll be a free agent in 2027. So... The Rockies are in a really tough spot because assuming that there is some sort of baseball season, Joe, uh, the, the, I, I thought that he wouldn't play another game with the Rockies. But now it becomes a situation where he's got an, an immovable contract, especially with no fans playing in the stands. Who is going to be able to take on this kind of money for this season, especially if it's prorated? He'd make $13 million essentially for two or three months. Uh, there could be a team 
that could take it on, or maybe not. He could end up playing with the Rockies. It's my understanding that the Rockies uh, are one of those clubs in baseball. That's not to say that they don't want to play the season, Joe, and I don't want to put those words in anybody's mouth. But the Rockies are going to have it harder than just about any other team in baseball mm-hmm. because they're not going to be good. They have a high payroll, and they have a huge gate. They get millions of people going to their games, whether they're good or they're bad. It's a thing to do in Denver. Uh, they're in a really, really tough spot here with Arenado, and we'll get into teams here in a minute, but it is a shame that that this season looks like a tough one. I don't know that anybody's going to be able to take him on. He could just waste away in Colorado. I thought you were going to make a reference to one of my favorite cult films, Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead, with Andy Garcia, because uh, a couple of bad contracts have put the Rockies in a bad spot. The Ian Desmond signing turned out to be a very bad one. The Daniel Murphy signing at the time was incredibly puzzling for me when you looked at what they had coming through the system. It was like, hey, let's sign a guy who can basically DH at this point in his career, and let's play a logjam of a bunch of guys we have in the system who could play first and second. That, that seems like a great idea. And... It's a very difficult spot here for Colorado. I mean, the Colorado Rockies, 2007 is the last time they were in a World Series, right? It's the one and only time. And if you go back and you look at the Colorado Rockies historically, they're known for, you know, teams that won there was because of they just overwhelmingly just pounded teams offensively. So Nolan Arenado is a great player. He is a great two-way player. He is probably one of the top three two-way players in baseball when you think about it. Like, the guy is a tremendous defensive player, one of the best third basemen that I've ever seen defensively, and is a tremendous offensive player as well. And those guys don't grow on trees. I'm not worried about the splits. People are worried about Corey Dickerson splits too. Please, don't worry about it. Nolan Arenado hit all through single A, double A. Don't worry about the splits when it comes to Nolan Arenado. Things will even out for him. But you're you're talking about back in 07 – these were some of the names on this pitching staff. Jeff Francis, who won 17 games that year. Aaron Cook, Josh Fogg, Ubaldo Jimenez, right? I mean, we can go back to the to the Bombers years, right, where they had, you know, the Vinny Castillas and Larry Walkers and all those guys. I don't know what you can do in Colorado to win baseball games anymore. I don't know. I, I know we've well, had the Huey Dolan all that. success regardless of that. Have they had a lot of success or or have I they would, had a spurt so. of would, success here and there? Oh, they've, they've had a few seasons where they've been above 500 and other teams would die to have that. I mean, they've Okay, had... so they've had a couple years of above 500. If you are the Colorado Rockies right now and you have Nolan Arenado, what is the kind of package that you need to get back? Let, let's say it's with the Cardinals, right? Because that was the major team. What are the pieces in the Cardinals organization? Do you starting with Dylan Carlson? It's over. Is no, it, it's, it's over. over. That's no, it's zero. Right. They get they're getting nothing. Okay, so you're you're getting nothing. <laughs> you're sitting there. They're, they're getting nothing. It is they they lost their opportunity. They made a mistake. They should have okay. done it when they had the chance. And it's not you know it's actually not their fault because no one could have predicted that the country would be shut down with a virus. But if if they're interested in trading the player, I don't think they're getting a thing back in return this year. Next well, year may well, change. Even, even maybe next some year. team. I, I guess I maybe guess some team point. strikes out in free agency. But mm-hmm. I really, uh, with all the payrolls in baseball that will go down in 2021 because of 2020, I think that their return is going to be almost nothing. I think it's going to be a dump. Well, and if that's unless what it they is. take unless they pay for Arenado, unless they decide, hey, look, he's making. Uh, 26 million, 20, 30 million, whatever it is, unless they say, hey, we'll eat half. Well, look at that. At that point, no, they'll get they'll get stuff back in return if they decide. Well, to what's do more that. crucial to the Rockies organization right now? Is it financial recovery? Or It'll relief? be financial if there are no fans this year. Yeah. Okay, so then there's your answer. Then I think you've answered your own question there. Because, Maybe. Maybe. Because I mean, from from a pipeline standpoint, uh, once again, they have some nice offensive players coming through. But we've had nice offensive players there in the past. I just I keep looking at Colorado and I keep saying to myself, how is this team ever going to have any sustained moment where it's it's not just a good team or above 500 team, but a team that has a legitimate shot at a World Series? And it's difficult because young pitchers don't want to pitch there. There's a negativity, a stigma attached to it. Free agent pitchers don't want to go sign there because they've seen everybody from Mike Hampton to a bunch of other guys go there and their careers just die. And it's if you can't draft the, and cultivate properly and you or if you do, they oh, get up it's, there. And it's then they about call. playing at altitude. It's not about the draft. I mean, well, I mean, it's about playing at altitude. But at what point in time, like 
I mean, we live in such a, a hypersensitive reality of baseball where everything is studied so much. And I know, I think it was, was it Walt Weiss when he was manager? Somebody over there when they were manager tried like new systems. They started wanting to do, let's do four man rotations or let's have, you know, guys pitch three innings Nothing in a clip. Nothing has worked, but I don't know if they've ever given something a long enough look, but is, is what's the answer? Because I feel like there is none because you're not going to get Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole and those kind of guys to go pitch in Colorado. And if you, you don't have, have to that draft, kind of guy. And you have to hope to get five John Grays. You have to hope that oh, five guys. Well, that's tough are, because are, even are John okay. Gray is a college pitcher. Was, that's John the Gray best thing you're going to get. You have to but, do it through the draft and hope. Look, two ugh. years ago, they had two really good pitchers, and then they took a step back last year. But that is the issue with the Rockies. It's really hard to do it over a period of time. Both Freeland was really good, and so was Marquez, and then now they're not. They have to draft. They have to draft well, and they have to hope that they can sort of only give up four or five runs a game. But they were very successful with Clint Hurdle. They went to the National League Championship Series, I believe, a couple different times. Um, I think that they could do it again, but it's all going to start after they rebuild, which is what they're going to have to start doing now. So if they do that, where could and what team could just simply take on Arenado and take on all the money? So let's take a look at, at right. some of the possible teams where, simply put, no money, uh, no players are being exchanged here. This is like a Stanton, this is like a Stanton being traded almost, right. you know? Like this is like the same thing where you're getting nothing back in return. Uh, you know, certainly the Cardinals have a really hard time signing free agents. They have to overpay a lot. It has not worked out a lot. And this is one of those where the Cardinals are a billions and billions of dollar organization, the only game in town essentially in St. Louis. They could do it if they chose to. So that still has to be the team that we would focus on, especially with Carpenter's contract coming up. They could just put Arenado at third, no problem. Uh, the Giants, I feel like because Farhan Zaidi is now running the team, even though the Giants' finances are there and they're also a team that can take on a $200 million payroll, I don't really think that they're in a position yet. If this was two years from now, he could be the staple. They still have to pay out Longoria and... And I feel like the way that Zaidi ran the Dodgers, nobody gets paid $25 million. No one. I mean, they, they basically just keep moving money around. So I don't think it would be them. But again, they could do it. If they decided to do it, they could. They could actually swap back Longoria, right, and, and give him to uh, give him to Colorado and take on uh, Arenado, and then that would even things out, at least for a year or two. Uh, the Rangers are in a new ballpark. They missed out on a lot of free agents this offseason. If they chose, this is a great spot for him. I think that they could absolutely, I mean, they have a new ballpark. They could absolutely take on the money there. Uh, I think that they would be in a position to trade a couple of prospects also, and they would match up really well. They have some high-end guys if the Rockies decided to eat some money. And so I would put them in the equation, and I would tell you that the Royals have zero money on the books in 2021, nothing. And if they decide, and they've been in a rebuild now for three or four years, I would not rule out the Royals from saying, hey, look, this is going to be the new face of the franchise because they, again, have a zero payroll in two years. None. They have no one on the books outside of Merrifield, and that's like $5 million. So um, the Royals are another team that should be, by next year, starting to compete again. So well, those are the it, teams. That if are. it's not the Cardinals, to me, the Texas Rangers makes the most sense. You have a new ballpark. You have a, a, a glaring hole there at the position. You have a need. You could also surround him with two really good players with Joey Gallo and Willie Calhoun. And you're really starting to build something there. You got Corey Kluber. That's a team that could, I think, all of a sudden make a lot of noise right away when you had a player uh, like Nolan Arenado, not just offensively, but defensively, too. How about the pitching staff a little bit? To me, Texas makes a lot of sense. I think Arenado would be a star in Texas. I think the community would embrace him right away there as well. And you and I talked about it all last offseason. We were shocked that Donaldson didn't end up there. And there's still a hole there at third base. There's still a need for, I think, a legitimate superstar. Not that Joey Gallo can't be that, but hasn't quite gotten to that level yet. Norn Arenado, I think, all of a sudden makes this team uh, a contender. And not just from a defensive standpoint or offensive standpoint, but also a team leadership standpoint, too. I think that's a franchise that kind of needs an identity. I think Nolan Arenado would give them an identity right away. Uh, so for me, I vote for Texas, but the Cardinals, I think, will always find a way to make everything work. They'll always have the most prospects to give. They'll always have the most clever way of doing this because, look, whether it's acquiring Mark McGuire or other people or, you know, other stars at certain point in time, Scott Rollins in their careers, the Cardinals have a great history in this organization of doing just that, taking guys who are still at their peak 
before the drop-off and getting a couple really good years and making a great run. And they've got Goldschmidt, and now I put Arenado at the other side. Wow, that would be incredible. All right, so we'll see what happens uh, if, if Arenado sticks it out with the Rockies or if he moves on. Maybe we'll know in a month. Maybe it'll be six months, but worth a topic of conversation. Coming up next, a review of the 2004 Major League Baseball season. You're watching Sports Grid. This is Fantasy Sports Today. Craig and Joe, we're back in just two minutes. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back. Craig and Joe here with you. As we wait for baseball to come back, we take a look back today at another baseball season that really goes down in history. Of course, uh, everyone will always remember the first time the Chicago Cubs won a World Series in about 100 years, but 2004 was really the season of the Red Sox. I think that that will be what will happen. Um, so many unpredictable things happened that season. You never would have guessed that the Red Sox would have been able to pull off what they did. It was, uh, you know, honestly, the postseason was one of the more magical ones we've seen in the last couple of decades. So it certainly is one that I'll remember a lot. Yeah, it's actually one of the fewer, if any, that I got really emotional when a team won that wasn't my team. I was legitimately overwhelmed when the Red Sox came back and completed that. Now, maybe it's because I'm a Met fan and maybe there's a silent part of me that's jealous of the Yankees and always was rooting for the little brother to finally, you know, kind of overtake them. And they did. Uh, but there was something special about that team. They were a very likable bunch. And to remember what happened to them the year before, the Aaron Boone home run, where it was just this crushing loss at the end for the 2003 Red Sox. And then to see them in 04 go down 03, and the first team in Major League history to ever be down 03 to come back and then win the next four games and move on to uh, to the World Series, that was just, it was a staggering feat. And of course, a lot of people forget it was Kevin Millar who kind of went running around to everybody saying, hey, don't let us win this one. Don't let us win this one. And I think you always need that. I think baseball, especially such a long season, that every team needs a, a lunatic or two on it that, that, you know, just sees the world in a different way or it can just kind of break the tension of certain moments because it is such a long season and there's so much of an emotional swing. And that, of course, was that moment. And a lot of people forget it was actually Kevin Millar walking against Mariano Rivera that set up that Dave Roberts stolen base sure. attempt and that great story too, where uh, Terry Francona winked at Roberts when he went on and said, okay, go do what you do. There's no signs, no nothing. Just, you know what you have to do. You have to seal second base. And uh, the rest is history as they would say. And then, and also people forget, I don't know if you remember this too. They just got absolutely pounded the night before. It was like a 19 to eight yeah, score. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, so, so it was about as low as you could possibly get for the Red Sox. I, I remember I was in the movies at that for game three. Oh yeah. I didn't see it and thought, ah, what's the point? <laughs> what's the point? Ah, 19-8, it's done, it's over. What are you going to do? It was 3 I'm like, ah, it's done. Yeah, I know. And uh, and it's fascinating because the Yankees still had all of those guys on the, you know, the Jeters and the Fasadas and the Riveras and all those guys were still there. And those guys didn't choke. <laughs> I've watched enough Yankee baseball in my life to tell you, that's not a crew that's choking or giving up leads. They were... They were the kind that would step on your neck when they had you there and they would they would make it go. And uh, I'm going to say that I, I think that when you're looking at the Red Sox team and then not the fact that they just won the, you know, came back and won that LCS, but also to sweep the the Cardinals. I mean, that's yeah, just well, they were on a run at that point. <laughs> no one was going to beat them. I mean, they won eight straight games. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was the Cardinals had no shot going into that World Series. None. No, no, absolutely no shot. But it wasn't just the year of the Red Sox. There was a lot of incredible things there, uh, as well as Ichiro. Uh, Ichiro hit 372 that year and became the first player to have 50 hits in three separate months. Now, that that's pretty incredible. I always say that if Ichiro had been here in the major leagues a little sooner, that he might have been the guy to flirt with 400. I mean, it's this was also the year he broke uh, George Sisler's all-time hit record as well in a single season which was, I believe, 251. I think he ended up with 260-something. Uh, just just an incredible season there for Ichiro. And, you know, I mean, we've had this discussion before, but when we're talking about guys at 372, that's that's not luck. That is that is super skill. That skill of hitting at, at such a high level because, you know, somebody fluky maybe in a year will their batting average will jump 20 points. But to hit nearly 400 in a season, 
that's like George Brett, Tony Gwynn, Ichiro. That's that kind of a hitter. Very special. Yeah, a couple of things about Ichiro. I got to know him at the end when he was with the Marlins. Mm -hmm. So um, the first thing that was really interesting with me with Ichiro was that at spring training, what Ichiro did uh, each year, and he paid for it, is he had a uh, separate... I mean, it wasn't like a Winnebago, but it was like a Winnebago. Like, he had a separate facility for right. himself to work out in uh, that they put behind the facility. It was like a, a big, you know, caravan of some kind. And all his workout stuff was in there. And so he didn't work out in the traditional gym. He had it completely separate behind the facility, which was really amazing and cool. And so he'd go out there every day. He had his own crazy routine uh, before games, after games, very respectful guy. Um, two misnomers about Ichiro that I would say one is accurate and one is inaccurate. Uh, Ichiro, first of all, definitely did speak English. Definitely spoke oh, good English. And oh, talk of course you. he did. There's so no for way. sure, that one is true. Uh -huh. The one that is false is this notion that Ichiro, if he wanted to, could have hit 40 home runs. He could not have hit 40 home runs. Ichiro could not. He put on some good batting practices, but this was not a power hitter. And uh, I've talked to several players who have told me the same. Now, I'm not saying that players thought it was insulting, but they just basically said, look, I mean, could the guy have hit 15 or 20 home runs in a season? Sure. But he was not a power hitter. He was not hitting 40 home runs in a game. Yeah. Well, we hit 372. I really don't care. You know, I could bring back that. No, but people always have said, oh, oh you're right. well, the same thing to, with Wade he Box. could hit 40 home people runs. People said the he same thing not. about Wade Boggs. He could have hit 30 home runs if he wanted to and just pop the ball up. Because, because like you said, because of what they saw them do sometimes in batting, batting practice is not a not good indication for what someone it is doing. not uh mvps that year were barry bonds of the national league no surprise there and vladimir guerrero in the american league and when vlad guerrero won the al mvp he became the fifth guy to have a 200 hit season in both the american league and the national league do you want to take a crack at some of these other guys that the other four might have been I'll, I'll give you a hint the first one is a guy we just mentioned in the last segment uh, 200 hits in the AL and the NL. And, yep, 200 hits in the season, the American and National League. He uh, was Frank the all-time. He was well, no, he was the all-time hit leader in a season for each year. broke it. George Sisler was the oh. first one. There's another guy. He, uh, I'll give you a hint on this one. He played uh, for the Yankees, but he also played for the Dodgers. Most people probably remember him as a Dodger, though. Late 80s Dodger, second baseman. Actually, mid-80s uh, as well, now that I think about it. His name, Sachs. there you go. You got it. Very good, Steve Sachs. Another guy, uh, one of our favorite players here on the program, uh, a player, he played for the Red Sox. He also played for the Cubs. He also played for the Dodgers. Might give you enough hints. Bill Buckner, another good one. And the last guy to do it, uh, probably, probably more famous for his years with the Twins, but he also played for the Expos as well. Big power-hitting fella. Twins and uh, Twins and Expos. Expos, boy, that's a tough one. Al Oliver. You know, I thought Al, that was the first name that came to mind, but I was waiting for you to throw Pirates in there. I, I know, Al Oliver, there you go. Twins? I'm sorry. With the Twins? I thought Al Oliver was a twin, was he not? Maybe maybe I'm maybe I gave you a bad clue. I apologize. I, I could have sworn that Al Oliver was a twin. Never. All right, well that that's my bad. If if uh, I screwed that up, Pittsburgh, Texas. Well, I'm, I don't know, Pittsburgh, Texas. You're right. Uh, I screwed up there. I was thinking, no, I was thinking of the Rangers, not the Twins. That was my bad. Yeah, so I gave uh, I gave Greg a bad. Thought, and then you said Twins. I'm like, oh, I I, I, I apologize. I gave you a bad clue. I should have said the Rangers. All I right. thought it was the Twins. All right, let's move on here to the Cy Youngs, Roger Clemens and Johan Santana of the Minnesota Twins at the time. Santana was one of the last guys I remember, Craig. It was kind of brought in, brought up through relief and then became a starting pitcher, which used to be the way you cracked a rotation. Most of the time you had to kind of pay your dues in the bullpen and then you became a starting pitcher. I remember, you know, David Cohn doing that, a bunch of pitchers, you know, and then uh, Johan was kind of the last guy in that mold. Why do you think that is nowadays that that doesn't happen? Just the hyper specialization of baseball or the fact that some of these guys are just making a lot of money in the minor leagues and, and on those, those draft contracts? Yeah, I mean, look, every pitcher wants to be a starter. I mean, right. that's, that's the reality of it. No one growing up at 13 years old aspires to be a left-handed specialist. So I think that, look, that could be part of it. But inevitably, 
it does come down to the want, the need of the team and the player. Santana was a very interesting situation because he was a Rule 5 guy. The Marlins actually had him at the very beginning of his career um, and didn't see anything in, uh, with him, and the rest is you know sort of history. But I, th- I think that Santana is sort of an anecdotal situation where mm-hmm. there aren't a lot of uh, instances that you could find a pitcher that was completely given up on that ended up having a all-star type career. Right. You know, some people feel like he's a Hall of Fame candidate. Uh, he could have been. Um, and, and I think that there's a chance a veterans committee of some kind ends up putting Santana in the Hall of Fame down the line because the pitching stats are going to be so watered down. It's going to be really hard to put a pitcher in the Hall of Fame. You know, I love Johan. He was one of my favorite pitchers, but I, I would be very surprised. I don't think of him as a Hall of Fame caliber pitcher. And I love Johan Santana. I really, I loved him as a twin, loved him in fantasy, loved him as a Met, but that's the tough sell for me. Like, I don't want to water down well, the you're Hall gonna of Fame. Well, ha- you're going to have a pitcherless Hall of Fame with the exception of the guys who are playing now. I and guess. You, well, well I mean, you decide I to put somebody in. You're gonna have the you're gonna have the Kershaws and the and the Verlanders he's and that. Playing group. now, he's playing. No, now. I know, but like you're saying, the in betweens. I mean, you know, who in the next five years is gonna get in as a pitcher? I, I don't know. I'd have to one. go back and look in. Only I'd have CC to go... Sabathia is the only one that I. think. Well, that's that's the first one that came to mind. Uh, some of the uh, milestones that year too: 300 wins for Greg Maddox. Uh, talk about another milestone that's never coming back to Major League Baseball. 300 wins. 250 would be incredible for somebody to hit that number. Uh, 4,000 strikeouts for Randy Johnson. 500 home run club for Ken Griffey Jr. And Randy Johnson pitched the 17th perfect game in Major League Baseball history as well uh, that season. Uh, you also have the Ichiro uh, single season record. He uh, 262 hits. That was the final tally there. And also, it was a record number 80 walk-off home runs that year. That is an incredible number. 80 walk-off home runs in one season. Uh, Tremendous there that year. Also in the draft in 2004, Matt Bush, we talked about, you know, some guys who went over one overall, didn't live up to the hype. Number two that year, Justin Verlander. Oh, so close. You could have had Justin Verlander. Instead, you took Matt Bush, and I'm sure somebody lost their job over that one. So once again, the draft is not a... uh, not always as simple Definitely as it not. seems, but 2004, obviously an incredible feel-good season for the underdog, as it were. And it's nice to kind of look back fondly on those teams with Manny and Kurt Schilling in the bloody sock. And I saw Dave Wallace, the pitching coach of the Red Sox, and I recognized him as a Mets fan. And I saw him the morning of that game. And I asked him, because I, I knew who he was, and he, I'm probably the only guy in the world who would recognize Dave Wallace, right? And I'm sitting there, and I can see he's got a USA Today, so I know he's staying at a hotel. I know exactly who he is. And I say to him, Mr. Wallace, you know, my name is Joe. I'm a Mets fan. I remember you from there. They, and he said, hey, come sit. Let's, let's chat. And I asked him, I said, is Schilling really going to pitch tonight? He goes, he goes, they did this thing. They put his ankle and his bone and the ligament together. He's like, I don't know, man. He's going to try. I don't know if it's going to work. <laughs> and he said he's going to go out there and give it a go. And sure enough, later that night, the rest is history, sure. as they say. Yeah. One of the great moments in history. I think that uh, Schilling will get in the Hall of Fame next year. I think he's the one. That's another probably one. The only, probably there the only two. one. We got two. Sabathia and Schilling. There you go. <laughs> um. Yeah. Well, Sabathia in five years from now. But yeah, Schilling <laughs> will get in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. He'll, he'll be he'll be the, the one pitcher that I, I hope that gets in the Hall of Fame next year. All right, so that's the first hour of FST. If you're watching on YouTube, the playlist will take you to our next. If you're watching live, stay tuned. Joe and I will be back. It's time for us to look at some NFL futures, a couple of quarterbacks, a couple of running backs, and a whole lot more. This is FST here on SportsGrid. We're back after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. 